Would you open the scriptures with me, first of all, to Genesis chapter 28. The page numbers are on the screen in the two Bibles that you find in your pews. And I want to use this material as background material to Article 1 of the Belgic Confession that we read and that we confessed earlier. Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and, I will, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I, will, that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So far the reading of God's word from Genesis, and then if you would turn toward the back uh, of the Bible, the New Testament, the book of Romans, this doxology, beginning at verse 33 of chapter 11, Romans, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then a couple of verses from the book of Revelation, chapter 15, the last book of the Bible, this song, the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it seems that each generation has its own language, its own words of expression. For, for example, I remember that when I was a teen, I know that 
really dates me, but the word groovy was all around. Things, everything was groovy. Things were considered cool. That's made some of it a comeback today. Neat. Far out. And the manner in which these words or expressions were used often didn't reflect their actual dictionary meaning, but they, that didn't seem to matter. They were words used to exclaim, used as responses to what someone had just said, and then the person using the word would intuitively know what the word meant. So it is that somewhere along the line, there were those who understood what was meant by the word gnarly. Remember that? That was used as a response. Groovy, gnarly, neato. Well, one of the words that's been popular for quite some time now is the word or the exclamation, awesome. And then for added impact, some have added the word totally, totally awesome-like. Lots of things are awesome. I didn't get the, quite the inflections in that totally awesome-like, but you can play around with that one. How about this from the Lego movie? Some of you are going to start singing it. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when you're living out a dream. Well, Guido Debray, and maybe you can put the words up, uh, Greg, for the first shot here. The author of the Belgic Confession, which is one of the forms of unity of the Christian Reformed Church, if he were to write this confession today, he may very well have written it something like this. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a simple, single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, and he is awesome, totally awesome-like. This past week, we heard the folks at Vacation Bible School, as we heard, the folks at Vacation Bible School have been busy with the nature of God, creator, provider, protector, redeemer, and king. That's what the song was based upon. And Pastor John and I are going to be dealing with those points over the next number of, of evening services. But this morning, the attention is on our confession concerning our only God. That's where the Belgic Confession begins. Now, three notes, first of all, about Article 1 before we go into it all. First note that this is a confession about our, or the only God. And it is a confession for all believers, and it is a confession that's rooted inside, in our hearts, and confessed with our mouths. You notice that? Hearts and mouths. Contrary to the emphasis of the church of the day in which the years in which this was written, Debray and the other reformers wanted to be sure that the church as a whole, each member, made the confession and that others would hear it and come to know the awesome God as described in Article 1. The reformers put a personal touch back into the faith. They brought the faith home again into the hearts and into the minds of the people sitting in the pews. They said each person, each individual Christian believer ought to be able to make a confession about God and mean it. 
The second thing to note about Article 1 as it begins the Belgic Confession is that there is no argument made for the existence of God. Did you notice that? No theories put forth, no proofs given, but the fact that God exists is simply confessed. Like in the Bible, the fact that God exists is a given. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. So in the Belgic Confession, the fact that God exists is accepted as a given. Here, right from the top, it is accepted, believed in our hearts and confessed with our mouths that God exists and He is awesome. And the third thing we ought to know about Article 1 is that the writer, when writing about God, confesses that God not only exists and we believe that He exists, but it's possible to know something about God because God allows Himself to be known. And so from Scripture we come to know something about His characteristics or attributes. And when the writer begins to talk about God, he he basically stammers, if we may use that word. That is to say, as he talks about God, whose existence we accept, he falls far short of an adequate description of God. And what one begins to understand rather quickly when studying the Lord is that he is so great and so holy, and so mighty, and so righteous, and so awesome that there simply are no human words to do him justice in terms of a description. But the Bible does allow us to know some things about the Lord, and some of those attributes or characteristics are found in Article 1 of this Confession. And when you look at Article 1, and when you look at that list of characteristics or attributes, and you put them all in the light of who God is, then He is indeed awesome. Someone that will bring fear into your hearts and reverence and make you fall to your knees. By single. Go back just one. I think the word single There you go. Single is meant one God. The Bible recognizes that there's other gods, like Dagon of the Philistines, or Baal, or Molech, or others, but the Bible also makes it very clear that these gods are are not God. There is no multiplicity of gods. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall have no other gods before me, said the Lord in the Ten Commandments. There's only one true God, in spite of what anyone may else may say, including the Muslims or New Age religions or Native religions or whoever. And this single God is simple says Article 1. Now the word simple is perhaps not the best choice of words because in our minds that word is often associated with people who are easily seduced or naive. But that's not true about God. By simple is meant not compound. Not a God of many parts. While He has revealed Himself as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He's not three gods. 
He's not compound, but one. Nor is God half God, half man. He's fully God and fully man. He's not partly love and partly just. He is love and he is just. He is his attributes. He is life and light, for example. It's not like God can be worshipped as the moon God or the sun God or the God of the earth or the trees. God is one, not divisible. And he is spirit, that is to say, he's not a physical being like we are, bound by time and space, and yet he is among us and effective. He is eternal, meaning he's always there. He always was, is, and will be. Time is at his disposal. He is incomprehensible, or he is mysterious. We cannot understand God. As Isaiah put it, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. God is the creator, we are mere creatures. Can the pot understand or comprehend the potter? Yet another characteristic of God from Article 1 is that God is invisible. No one has ever seen God, wrote John in chapter 1, verse 18. He's beyond human perception. We see what he does, but we do not see him. Much like the wind, we see what it does. We see it affects its effects, but we cannot see the wind itself. This God is unchangeable. That is to say, God will not be one thing today and another tomorrow. He is faithful, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that truth can make the Lord incredibly dependable and faithful from generation to generation, something that we celebrated yesterday in the wedding. He can never become what he is not. He can never become Satan, for example, because that would be contrary to his godness. And so we discover upon knowing him that he is faithful, consistent, a true covenant partner, quite unlike ourselves. He is infinite. This, according to the Bible, means that God cannot be bound by time or space or even systems of thought. If you think you've got the corner on who God is, I got news for you. You don't. He is perfect and he transcends time. This means that God is infinitely more gracious than we are sinful. And that's a good thing, or else we would be in eternal trouble. God is almighty. That means that God's power is not restricted. It cannot be frustrated. Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. The list goes on. He is completely wise. Or as Psalm 139 says, there is no unknown secret for God. He knows all things, including the way of life and salvation. He knows when history as we know it will come to an end. He is just. That means that God hates sin and holds us responsible for our sin. He demands payment for the things we have messed up with because of our disobedience and rebellion. And when he exacts payment from us, nonetheless, by grace, he also declares us not guilty in Christ Jesus. And finally, Guido de Bray adds, God is good and the overflowing source of all good. God created all things and he declared them 
good, very good. He is the source of all beauty, structure, happiness, and so on. And God has done something about the sinful, miserable condition of the world. He sent his son Jesus to die and to pay the price for the sins of his people, which we celebrate in the sacrament of Lord's Supper this morning. And this for sure makes him the source of all good. He hereby shows himself to be gracious, merciful, and long-suffering. Now, when we go through a whole list of attributes, such as found in Article 1, our, rea- our reaction might be to say, ah, that's nice. Perhaps we find this list in this article somewhat wordy, too theological, too removed from what we usually say or think about God. And certainly if we were to tell people about the Lord and about who He is, we probably wouldn't run down this whole list of characteristics as found in this article. We'd be afraid that that would turn people off. That's too distant. We want to talk about Jesus as my friend, my buddy. But Debray doesn't think that this is a bad place to start when talking about the Christian faith and most specifically about the Lord. He didn't think this was a bad place because he stood in awe of God. And it was his perspective that if you're going to talk about or defend the faith, then you better begin with the Lord, the very one who made everything in the first place and who made it all perfectly with the very one who is now also working at recreating it all in the person of Christ Jesus. Now it is true, of course, that Article 1 of the Belgic Confession doesn't speak about a very personal God and says it seems very little about Jesus. And therefore there may be not much in this particular article that would endear us to God. But of course Christ... And the more personal approach to the Lord is dealt with later in other articles of the Belgic Confession. And so it's safe to say, yes, your talk about God cannot end with Article 1. This is a very good place to start, though. The Belgic Confession begins at a place we all need to begin at, namely, as the writer of Ecclesiastes put it in chapter 5, verse 2, when talking about worship, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Awesome is our God. And sometimes we need to keep our mouths shut in the presence of that God and quit pretending like we know it all. And sometimes we talk about God as being so small, but we need to recapture something of the greatness of our God. And so coming into his presence ought to fill us with awe. After all, he is the king of all. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the potter. We are the clay. And as Isaiah writes, there is simply no one he can be compared to. He has all the characteristics mentioned earlier. And these facts alone ought to make us stop in our tracks, fall to our knees, and consider his greatness. Surely that's something that Jacob came to see. 
Prior to the passage we read earlier from Genesis 28, Jacob had cheated his brother Esau out of the blessing by pretending to be Esau in the presence of blind old father Isaac. And because of Esau's anger concerning the lost blessing, Jacob was forced to flee for his life. He went to Paddan Aram, where his uncle Laban lived. And on the evening of the first day of his flight to Laban, Jacob slept under the stars using, the rock as, using a rock as his pillow. And while he slept, he had this vision, he had this dream. In the dream, he saw that ladder between heaven and earth. God's angels were climbing up and down at the ladder, and the Lord stood at the very top. I wonder what that looked like. And in his dream, the Lord told Jacob that he was the God of his father Abraham, Isaac, uh, Abraham and Isaac. And what God had been to them, he now wanted to be to Jacob as well. And from then on, the Lord would be bound to Jacob, and Jacob would be bound to the Lord. There was to be continuous communion between the Lord and Jacob. And the ladder and the angels going up and down symbolized this communion. Quite something, this dream. Jacob, as deceitful and as sinful as he was, was now put in a place of communion with the Lord. It's only the Lord who can put us in such a position of communion with Him. And the Lord did that precisely through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. It's only through His death, only through His resurrection, which we celebrate in the sacrament, that we are able to commune with God again. After all, it was our sin that destroyed communion with the Lord in the first place. And when Jacob woke up, he was filled with a sense of awe and reverent fear. He had been in the presence of the Lord himself. What an awesome place this is, he said. The Lord is in, his, in this place. And then he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. What's the Lord like, Jacob? Awesome. And then the word, the Hebrew word translated, used for awesome there, is translated to read fear, reverence, terror. A fear, a reverence, a terror overtook Jacob as he thought about his talking with the Lord and being in the Lord's presence. Psalm, one, Psalm 99 says, Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Nehemiah 1.5, the prayer of Nehemiah, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commandments. How often are our prayers filled with a deep sense of awe and fear and reverence for this God we're talking to? Indeed, our God is an awesome God. The one who is described in Article 1 of the Belgic Confession had visited Jacob. It must have been quite something. It drove him to his knees and to worship. It drove Nehemiah and the people to confess their sins. You see, that's always where confession leads, to worship. To praise the one who is worthy to receive the honor and the glory and the blessing. That's what it drove Paul to do in the doxology that we read from Romans 11. The hosts of heaven, as described by John in the book of Revelation, cannot stop singing their praise of the holy awesomeness of God, the God of heaven and earth. 
His majesty, who He is, leads one to worship. And we discover in the sacrament that Jesus is the one who has restored our relationship with the Father so that now we're able to commune with Him again. It ought to drive us to our knees in worship. And in our worship and in our lives, we need constantly to be filled with a deep sense of awe about God, the single, simple, spiritual being who is eternal, incomprehensible, and so on. Knowing Him as such, we will worship and praise Him. What is God like? Totally awesome. Amen.